This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by MyBookie. Sign up at MyBookie.ag, use our promo code GATORS on your first deposit of $50 or more to redeem a cash bonus of up to $200. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shoutouts, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to GatorsBreakdown.SupportingCast.FM to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Coming at you right here, bringing you all the transfer portal news with my co-host, Will Miles. You can find him at a site, readandreaction.com. YouTube, Read Reaction. And at Will Miles SEC on Twitter. And Will, we got prepped for this episode thinking we had nine. Now we may be talking 10 transfers as Keonta Goodwin, uh, the big time Kentucky offensive lineman that visited over the weekend, hearing some good things right now as far as hey, look, we got internet sleuths out there finding him in the in the Florida database. They found some classes that he's taken at, at Florida. So that one looks to be uh, there. I know what, what we've said about assuming when it comes to uh, recruiting <laughs> lately in the, in the last few months. But uh, I, w- I would say when we get to Wednesday, Goodwin uh, looks good to be in this Florida class. So we'll include him in this episode. But, hey, Billy Napier needed to hit the transfer portal. We, we, we've talked ad nauseum the past, what, month and a half, two months of these guys leaving the program. Transfer portal is a way to stack up the roster now. Billy Napier has done it with nine, ten guys here. Boy, as he ever. I mean, now, you know, I think we were looking there a couple episodes ago. We were looking at all the guys who were leaving, <laughs> going, Are we going to be able to field a team? Like, are we going to get to 85 scholarships? And obviously, you know, that was in jest, but, um, you know, they're getting pretty close at this point. And so yeah. we're starting to see the roster fill out. We're starting to see who's coming in and then whether those folks are going to be competing with the younger guys who are on the roster or whether those folks are going to come in and take. Um, starting jobs right away and I think that sort of tells you something about the development of the guys beneath them depending upon the quality and the the years of eligibility left for some of the players that they brought in so you know obviously um, given that a lot of the folks who left were Dan Mullen recruits I think it doesn't make a or you know it makes a lot of sense that the guys who are coming in have one or two years worth of eligibility left, but certainly that's not everybody who's coming through the transfer portal. And, uh, you know, we'll see, uh, obviously we'll, we'll go over all, all 10 at this point and talk about what they've been able to do. And, uh, you know, I, I think Florida's added some very, very high quality guys, um, who are going to be able to fill some holes for this team. Yep. We'll get Ronald Nunnery, of course, the linebacker from uh, Houston, uh, announced on Monday. Uh, that was the last day that we thought <laughs> until we get the good one news of today. You know, Florida being able to maneuver some dates around a bit. But that's why you heard Ronald Nunnery, the linebacker from Houston, transferring to Florida. Cameron Carroll, the running back from Tulane, uh, committing to Florida. The 23rd was supposed to be this drop dead date for transfers to, to enroll in the new schools. But as we said, good one uh, looks to be. Uh, I guess, quote-unquote, we'll call him a late edition. <laughs> there, Will, <laughs> as, this, uh, as this one goes. If it works out that way, I said, you know, feel good about it. Should be there. We'll, we're going to assume here on Gators Breakdown he's going to be the 10th transfer. If it doesn't happen, don't scream at me. Uh, just pretend it didn't happen. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, everybody, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button as we're breaking these transfers down right here on Gators Breakdown. Of course, you know, it, that support goes so much and so long right here on YouTube. Leave a comment right there. I see the uh, comment section live and ready to go. Thank you guys so much for uh, keeping all this interaction going. Your, your support means a whole lot there. And, and Gators Breakdown Plus as well. You can uh, get the link in the description, gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm. Uh, most recent episode there is the chat. I gave you guys a preview on YouTube. Uh, about 10 minutes of the, the chat we had on Sunday night. We talked Goodwin. We talked Carroll, uh, the new transfers there, and a lot of other stuff, of, of course, as well. You know, co- kind of the quarterback fallout. We'll get into that tonight a bit, too. Um, the quarterback fallout of uh, since Jake Rashad is not going to be in the class, hey, that may change the way Florida attacks the transfer portal uh, with a couple of spots left. Uh, so, you know, we'll um, we'll get there. And plenty, plenty to discuss, but we did it right there at Gators Breakdown Plus. 
link to the Discord, link to that is in the description. Uh, well, so yeah, we said nine, 10 transfers, nine officially. We'll, we'll, we'll count 10 there with Goodwin added to this Gators roster. Hey, as we said, brings the number up to 82, 83. You know, we'll say 82 officially there with the nine. It would be 83, counting Goodwin, scholarship players. Uh, and that counts Caden Jones as well. Uh, the, the newest uh, high school commit there for the Gators committed at the uh, All-Star game a couple weeks ago. He'll join the, 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 his letter of intent on February. Uh, committed, yet to sign. Uh, but um, the way 24-7 broke it down, and Will, you did it a little bit different, basically as, as years remaining, but six seniors, 22 juniors, 25 sophomores, Nine redshirt freshmen, twenty true freshmen, uh, there for the Gators. So as we said, as we as we led this off, you know, we'll we we, we looked at all the roster, all the roster moves for the Gators, and it was caught by surprise a little bit uh, with offensive linemen that were leaving uh, Florida. Not a lot of surprises you mentioned with the Dan Mullen recruits, and you know maybe this should have happened uh, a year ago. Uh, maybe now some guys just kind of wanted to stick around, see where they were with Billy Napier and how he built this program. Uh, the, the coaches wanted to see if some players could fit, could not fit, and what they want. Uh, look, maybe some just bad fits overall. Not bad for a player, not bad for a coach. Just sometimes don't fit there. Uh, but Gators, as we mentioned, we'll go 83. We'll count Goodwin for now. Two spots below that 85. And, hey, look, I think uh, we'll get to spring practice, Will. Some guys will probably leave the program again if they don't like where they're at on the depth chart in spring. May open up some more spots for Florida and Florida may not be done with the transfer portal after spring practice as well. Yeah, I mean, there's still some holes to fill. There's no doubt about that. I mean, whenever you're below the 85 scholarship limit, um, there's going to be some holes to fill. They're obviously getting pretty close there. I think it's interesting when you look at the youth. I mean, you know, you, you had a little bit different numbers, but I've got 53 guys with three or four years worth of eligibility left, which means you got 30 who are in the two or the one, and only five guys who have one year of eligibility left. So this is a very, very, very young team, even with the guys that they brought in through the transfer portal. And then you start looking at where they targeted guys at the transfer yeah. portal. You know, there, there's there's three offensive linemen, there's a couple defensive tackles, there's a couple of couple of linebackers, and Nunnery came in as a safety, but he's a linebacker as well. So you got three linebackers. So the places that we sort of looked at last year on the defensive side of the ball and said that's a weakness they've strengthened and then if you look at the place where after the transfer portal was with uh, Tarquin and and White leaving we said ooh need to replace some guys <laughs> there they they've done that too and so yeah you know, I, I think look i mean i'm i'm critical of Napier when he when he struggles on the recruiting trail and and other things and during the season when he struggled at various times as well i think he's done a very nice job of of filling the needs for the organization based on the transfers now um, I don't think that means the job's done. I think there's still some places that could obviously um, use some upgrades. But as of right now, I think this is going to be, you know, three, four, five weeks ago, you're looking there going, man, are we looking at another six and six <laughs> season? And I, look, I think these guys still have a lot to prove, but I think you can go into the season thinking that it's a realistic expectation for this team to improve off of its six and seven last year as opposed to sort of expecting that as, as the outcome. The other thing that I'll say is that, you know, I mean, look, whether you agree with it or not, Napier has shown that he's going to take sort of a wait-and-see approach for a lot of these things, right, yep. when it comes to NIL. I think mm -hmm. you can say that when it comes to the transfer portal last year. He talked about potentially getting involved there and did not get heavily involved in the transfer portal last year. And so this program, under Napier's guidance, has really sort of taken a wait-and-see approach for a lot of these things which is one of the reasons why I think you saw a large exodus after this year. We even saw it with Emory Jones, right? I mean, Emory Jones came in and gave it a go during yeah. spring practice last year before transferring to Arizona State. So everything about this program has been, we're going to take a wait-and-see approach. Again, I think you can argue with that as to whether that's the right approach, but it is the approach, and it's consistent. And you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't say that, I see a consistency there because there have been times where I've said there, the strategic vision has not been what I would want it to be, but at least he's being, at least the program is being consistent on that particular aspect of things. And so it makes sense, right? That you take a year, you wait and see the guys that don't fit. You're going to, you're going to ask them to leave. You're going to bring in guys who do fit. And so I actually would be pretty surprised if there's some max mass exodus after, you know, right before fall practice or after spring practice, I think, you might see a couple of guys leave, but right. I think that yeah. my guess would be that that'll almost be a mutual thing where yeah. the staff will be like, we need the scholarship freed up and you're not going to play. And, you know, they'll make a decision to go someplace else as opposed to, like you mentioned, some of the offensive linemen who, uh, 
I think if Tarquin and White were available, they'd still be Gators, right? I, I think there <laughs> there are some things there where you know those are guys that that Napier wanted, and obviously those guys are going elsewhere. Yeah, I don't think he was going to beg anybody to stay. I think once you got that mindset, hey, you, if you think you don't want to be here, then okay, we're not going to stop you. Uh, but yeah, hey, we we we'd welcome you if you want to be here. But if you if you leave, okay, you know we'll we'll move on without you. You, uh, you don't thumb your nose to all SEC offensive <laughs> linemen. You, you <laughs> keep walking them in the back. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, something that's different with this transfer, and, and we'll see where it ends up. But you know, whether it be the nine or the ten, they, think about the transfer portal last year. It was offense. It was Pearsall. It was Osiris Torrance. It was Montreal Johnson. You know, and this one is, hey, it's both sides of the ball. You know, it's not just the you know, can wait to throw him in there too. You know, another <laughs> one more for the offense. Uh, but, you know, this one for, for the transfer portal for this, as they went through a year and figured out what they need. And don't get me wrong, some of that is just due to the fact that, hey, a lot of guys left. You're, of course, you're going to feel uh, where, where the needs are. And, and they're definitely going to be with guys going to the NFL, guys going – to the transfer portal, I think well, we counted 35 players <laughs> that left this roster. Look, of course, there's going to be players on both sides, but you know, at least it wasn't, um, you know, really heavily swayed one way or the other. As you said, Gators filled their need. They needed help in the interior of the defensive line. They went and got the guys. They needed another running back. They got the guy. Of course, needed a quarterback. They went and got the guy. Offensive line surprises. They went and got it. So yeah, they. they, they they, they did balance it on both sides of the ball where the needs were. Well, I mean, look, I, I think balance is important, but so is we saw that defense play last year. Yeah. When we saw, and then you got Ventrell Miller leaving, you got Amari Bernie leaving. Those guys were a bulk of the snaps, the linebacker position. You know, Derek Wingo, you know, who, who knows, obviously had surgery. Is he going to be ready to go? Certainly, probably not in the spring, but, you know, is he going to be ready to go in, in the fall? And then you had Shamar James, who played very, very well as a freshman, and then Scooby Williams, who didn't really play much, uh, didn't play a whole lot, uh, you know, last year. And and so, you know, if that's it, you're in trouble in the SEC. And so, bringing in Mitchell Nunnery and Spurlock, along with Jaden Robinson in in the 2023 class, means you've just supplemented with experience. You've supplemented with some explosiveness. You've supplemented with some experience, but you've also supplemented with some youth and some upside in that entire room. I mean, if I if you'd have told me a month ago to look at the linebacker room. I said, man, this is a disaster. Mm -hmm. You tell me to look at the linebacker room now, and I go, I'm not sure that this room is going to be good, but I can see a scenario where they turn out to be really good. And we haven't had a really good linebacker play at floor for a really long time. So mm -hmm. I, I think there's um, I think there's immense value in, in taking a look at that and saying, when I talk about filling needs, that's what I mean. Same thing at defensive tackle, right, where you've got Jackson and Banks coming in at defensive tackle to supplement Desmond Watson to supplement Jalen Humphreys to supplement Chris McClellan who played really well last year um, you know and then you got Lions and Norman coming in with this particular class again if you don't have those two transfers you look at that and go wow they're really thin and injury even if they're good an injury or two in the SEC and all of a sudden the defensive line's getting gouged again now and and there were some stats I think Bud Davis last year did a really nice analysis maybe halfway through the season where he looked at Javon Dexter mm -hmm. and he was like an all SEC player in the first half and in the second half he just ran out of gas and you know was was below average in the second half last year so he's playing way more snaps than a defensive tackle normally plays in in really any sort of defense in the sec and now you have the opportunity to sort of rotate those guys in there so um you know look i mean napier and tony saw what we saw last year too which was that florida couldn't stop the run they couldn't get pressure and then their secondary couldn't hold up now you know whether or not the secondary with another year of coaching and with some of the guys that they brought in is going to be able to hold up next year is an open question but they shouldn't have to hold up nearly as long because these guys at defensive tackle should be able to hold up against the run you should be able to get some more pressure you should be able to have linebackers who can cover running backs in space and all of a sudden now you're 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 at least bringing out a functional defense as opposed to one that just is essentially against any kind of decent offense is almost guaranteed to give up 40 points all right, so Will, you laid it out there, and that's kind of going to be the format uh, that we run through here for Florida. And hey, let's start at running back uh, and go from the two newest transfers that announced on Monday officially here. Uh, and I'm just going to you know leave it, leave it and break it out like this. So if you're watching on YouTube, of course, you get the graphics. Uh, but we'll look at the transfers and who is leaving the roster and the additions to the transfer portal. Of course, there's additions to the recruiting class as well, but we're just going to count on who's leaving, you know, and just probably part of the reason why Florida had to go get some transfers 
uh, to fill it in here. So two-lane running back transfer, Cameron Carroll, um, 1,600 yards uh, in five seasons with Tulane, uh, only appeared uh, in more than one game in three of those years. Um, he also accounted for 247 yards receiving on 23 catches, another five touchdowns through the air. His big year was 2020, Will. Uh, carried the ball 122 times, 741 yards, 12 touchdowns. Uh, his, by far his best season uh, there with the Green Wave. Averaged 6.1 yards of carry that season. Uh, and when I was looking at Will that season, hey, he really excelled on first down. Uh, about half of his 122 carries came on first down that season, 62 carries for 482 yards. He averaged 7.8 yards a carry on first down in 2020, uh, and seven of his 12 touchdowns uh, in 2020 came on first down as well. So a first down uh, weapon there for Tulane in, in 2020. And, Will, this one, this, one, this one was big for me. I know a lot of people were, were wondering uh, what Florida would do at running back, if they would do anything at running back. And think about it. Think about how hard of a sell this is for this staff when we saw Montreal Johnson and Trevor Etienne run up and down the field last year for Florida. And you got to go sell somebody, hey, we need another body. We need depth. But you know what? You got to go compete with Montreal Johnson. <laughs> you got to compete with Trevor Etienne. They're used to this offense. They've been in this offense. Hey, we signed Trayon Webb as well. And we proved last year with Trevor Etienne, we're going to play some freshman running backs. So Trayon Webb's going to get in the mix. He'll be in the spring as well. He's an early enrollee for Florida. But, you know, it wasn't going to be easy for this staff to go sell a running back with any type of production uh, and any value to come to Florida and go sit behind Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne, or at least compete with those guys. And they got somebody who, who's got a pretty good bit of production. Yeah, lower level at the group of five level, but Tulane, pretty good team. Now, Carroll didn't play this past year. He was injured early in the season um, for, 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 for Tulane, so didn't play in this magical season there for the Green Wave, but does have a lot of numbers to his name. Yeah, I mean, I think some of it is he's a different kind of back, right? He's 225 pounds, and you think about what Florida has struggled with over the past couple of seasons. It's been in the red zone. Right. I mean, Montreal Johnson certainly, I think, was the more powerful of the two backs when you looked at him and ETN. But I wouldn't say either of those guys was just bulldozers. And we saw it against Oregon State last year when the offensive line could not get give those guys a running start that both of them struggled. And I think Mm -hmm. one of the things that Carroll brings is when you need two yards, he's going to be able to put his head in there and get that two yards because he's a bigger dude. And, you know, he's not necessarily tall, but he's just a stronger dude who's going to be able to get in there and sort of be that bowling ball type guy who's going to be able to get you a couple of runs. The other thing is in 2021, Tulane was awful. So for him to average 4.6 yards per rush that year, 6.1 the year before, you know, one of my criticisms for Naquan Wright last year was that he sort of came into the year averaging four yards a rush, and that's kind of where he sat. Um, This guy's averaging 5.3, so that's not as good as ETN. That's not as good as Montreal Johnson, but certainly it's very, very good. And I think if you think about, like, kickoff returns, that might be a place where Mm -hmm. Carroll can contribute right away, and you don't necessarily have to put somebody back there that you're worried about getting – that you're getting in, getting injured as a starter. Maybe even punt returns could be some somewhere where he could where he could contribute right away. And then beyond that, running back is a place where you get injuries, right? And and yep. Florida, Florida last year is really fortunate. None of those guys really got nicked up. There's an opportunity here. I mean, one guy gets nicked up, and all of a sudden, Webb or I'm sorry, Carroll is now all of a sudden, you know, this yeah. the backup running back and has an opportunity to run quite a bit. And look, I, I think there was always a plan last year to have three running backs in the rotation, and they tried it the first three or four games. Yeah. And then it was just ETN and, and Johnson were so much more efficient than any of the other guys they put in there that they said, well, those are the two we got to go with. And, you know, I remember harping on it early in the season, and they finally went with that where they had the two guys who were the most efficient. Well, if you bring in Carroll, and if Carroll or Trayon Webb is as efficient as Montreal Johnson and ETN, then they're going to get carries. I think that's probably what they sold them on is you're going to get some carries assuming yeah. that you can be as efficient <laughs> as these other guys, and we'll give you a shot. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. So, um, yeah, uh, Cameron Carroll there from Tulane, running back addition for the Gators, needed that body, uh, needed four running backs, uh, and now you don't have to go through spring and – Hey, with only three backs, of course, there's be walk-ons interest are involved as well. But now you got four running backs that you're going to be able to count on in the fall, uh, taking part in spring practice. All right, let's move to Will. Here's a big one, numbers-wise. Uh, besides, you know, two of them, linebacker and offensive line. We'll go there with linebacker because we're going to go to Manny Nunnery here. Uh, 
along on, on Monday with the Tulane running back Cameron Carroll, they announced uh, to you know on Monday that they were going to be part of this transfer class. Uh, Nunnery comes in, mid-year enrollee as well, and adds you know Florida as a third linebacker uh, is the third linebacker in this class for Florida, in addition to Taraja Mitchell from Ohio State, Deuce Spurlock from Michigan. In his four years at Houston, Nunnery took part in 25 games, 81 total tackles, 48 solo, eight tackles for loss, three and a half sacks, one forced fumble. This past season in uh, 2022, 46, 46 tackles, three tackles for a loss, uh, and a sack. Uh, and according to Blake Alderman for Swamp 24-7, they see him, the staff sees um, Nunnery here as a will linebacker. So uh, career high, 10 tackles against Rice, eight tackles in Houston's bowl game against uh, Louisiana. Uh, and look, of course, he'll be completing competing for some time uh, on the current roster. Derek Wingo, Shamar James, Scooby Williams, to go along with Taraji Mitchell, Deuce Spurlock. Uh, is Spurlock more of probably the developmental type? Uh, Mitchell hasn't played. You're going to see if he can knock off some rust. Uh, but, you know, had a pretty good uh, 2021 season uh, till not getting some time. We went over that. We went over all these transfers up until the last couple of days. Uh, so if you want some more information, you can go uh, singly uh, and single those guys out on past episodes of Gators Breakdown. Uh, but look, uh, Will, as you mentioned, Amari Bernie gone, Ventral Miller gone, DeWan Black transferred, David Reese transferred, Chief Borders transferred. I mean, Florida needed to go get numbers. And they've gotten some guys here with, with, with Nunnery who has some numbers behind his name, uh, some production there at Houston. Spurlock, a developmental uh, a player here through the transfer portal. Taraja Mitchell, you hope that uh, you can unlock you know, some of that 2021 season that he had at, at Ohio State. Uh, but good pickup here for the Gators to get a body uh, here at the linebacker position. Yeah, I mean, there's a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of everything when you look at these three. I mean, obviously, in Nunner and in Mitchell, you get um, you get quite a bit of experience, right? You get like you mentioned the 46 tackles last year. Oh, well, one, one more. I forgot. Go ahead, because you're going with some more numbers. I forgot. Um, he was a national special teams player uh, in 2021. Uh, he led the nation in block punts. Block kicks, made four tackles, had two assisted tackles, and was a five-unit starter there for uh, Houston's special teams. So led the nation in block punts and block kicks. So while we also threw Na- you know uh, Napier under the table a bit last year for special teams performance for the skaters team, uh, they've gotten one here who was a national um, special teams player of the year back in 2021. Well, so he definitely deserved to be thrown under the bus for special teams last year because it was because <laughs> it was bad. But hey, look, I mean, these you're going to have to field those units as well. And if Nunnery has experience there, and if Nunnery can push the guys who are there, or if guys can maybe get Nunnery off of that team so he can do what he needs to do at linebacker, then mm-hmm. great. Um, but again, you've got a guy with 25 games of experience. I think Mitchell has 23 games of experience. So you're looking at guys who've been out on the field in major games. And that's something Florida just did not have on the roster. I mean, Wingo, you could argue, has been on the field in major games, but you know, relatively limited. Shamar James only has last year, and Scooby Williams has been sort of a mop-up player thus far in his career. And so wh- who are you relying on? Mm-hmm. It was the fourth quarter against Utah like you did last year, right? Who's going to make that play? And I think Florida feels a lot more comfortable with Nunnery and Mitchell out there doing that than maybe some of the guys that they might have had. You mentioned that uh, Spurlock is more of a developmental player, but again, this is a guy who was good enough to get recruited to Michigan. Um, so a Power 5 guy who's been who's been practicing mm-hmm. with Power 5 players. Um and, and again, I think this maybe even is the one place where you say, all right, Nunnery isn't going to play on special teams, but he can show Spurlock that's kind of how you get onto the field and those sorts of things, right? So um, Napier has to build that that the, the, the bench, right? He's got to build the next people who are going to be coming in. And so a guy like Spurlock fills out that linebacker room to where now it's a whole lot more balanced. I mean, you look at it, you've got Mitchell with one year of eligibility, Wingo with two, James and Williams with three, and Spurlock and Robinson with four, which means if you sign two linebackers in the 2024 class, now you've sort of gotten to that place where you filled all of those different spots. They're still a little bit thin when you think about, you know, only having two guys with, you know, in Mitchell and Wingo who you would consider upperclassmen. But uh, the room's a lot more, uh, a lot more comprehensive <laughs> now with Nunnery and Mitchell specifically in there. But again, I think Spurlock's a good addition to push guys like Jaden, Jaden Robinson and, and Scooby Williams. 
Absolutely, yeah. As you said, so competition. Uh, that's going to be, I think, the best thing for this linebacker. There, there's going to be a lot of competition now. It's just they got those bodies there. There's there's some competition to hopefully you know push those guys to to, to be better players uh, and take over for Ventrell Miller uh, and, and Amari Bernie. So, all right, we'll get into the other positions right here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. But of course, man, the NFL playoff action still going on, still going on. Conference championship weekend this weekend as we get ready for the Super Bowl. So whether you bet to earn or make games more exciting, my book, it gives you the most for your money with the redesigned deposit bonus. Just use our promo code Gators on a deposit of $50 or more to receive a cash bonus instantly to your MyBookie account. Using this bonus is simple. Bet your deposit amount just once and you're ready to cash out. It's no strings attached with MyBookie. Bet on the NFL, all the conference championship games, AFC, NFC coming up this week. Hey, get ready for the Super Bowl as well. You know, my book is going to have you covered there as well. Or play for a share of big cash prizes in the weekly online blackjack tournaments. With so many brands and sports to choose from, you need a platform that makes it simple to bet and win like my bookie. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. All right, well, let's go to, hey, offensive line because that's where we're going to go because of Kenyatta Goodwin, of course, looking to be that 10th transfer for the Gators in this transfer portal class. Look for that uh, on Wednesday. We'll, we'll see if we get some word there uh, on Wednesday, but mass exodus will <laughs> with this position group, and Florida goes and gets three offensive linemen. But let's go to Goodwin here and why this one was so big. Um, to, to, to talk about and kind of lead. And I didn't want to, I wanted to make sure I didn't leave him out um, because you know, we're recording here on Tuesday night. It'd be kind of in limbo uh, of weather. So I'm going to assume he's in the class. As I said, scream at me if you want after the fact, if he's not, but we're going to discuss him here and was only at Kentucky for one season. Uh, committed to Kentucky as the 38th ranked prospect in the class of 2022. So on the verge of five-star status was Goodwin on the 2022 24-7 sports composite. Uh, from Indiana, 6'8", 351, 351-pounder uh, uh, is – that's what Kentucky had on him as far as weight goes. I'm hearing he's 360 now, Will. They want that weight down to about 330, 320. But he did choose the Wildcats over Alabama, Michigan, Michigan State, Georgia, Texas A&M. Uh, and look, we do Kentucky been developing offensive linemen for, for, for the past few seasons. Uh, so going back and reading up on him on the 24-7 Kentucky site, um, there was this thought from that side of it that he could come in right away and start at left tackle for them, but that never materialized. Uh, he saw some offensive line snaps at the end of blowout wins over Miami of Ohio and Youngstown State. Uh, but most of his playing time came as a blocker on special teams. He did play in 11 games as a true freshman. So, of course, that red shirt uh, didn't happen his freshman year. So, of course, the question comes up, why leave Kentucky after one season? Why couldn't he get on the field more for a high-profile offensive lineman, for an offensive line at Kentucky that was struggling this past year for the first time in, in quite some time? So, of course, all those are valid questions. And the thought from the Kentucky side – Seemed to be from him leaving is not a surprise and that he wasn't putting in the necessary work there in Lexington. Once again, it's not my thoughts. I went through and read the, the comments of the message boards with the story that they had when he put his name in the transfer portal. That's from the Kentucky side of why he left after one season. So now if you're Florida, of course, you know, whether that's the case or not, you hope to unlock that recruiting potential that we detailed there. I, I'm sure Florida, Napier, Sale, Stapleton did their homework, had conversations about what happened at Kentucky. I mean, just a year ago, this was one of the best offensive linemen coming into college football. Uh, and Alan Triu uh, of 24-7 gave the scouting report, physical specimen who has done a fantastic job reshaping his body. At that same time, he's worked on explosiveness, and that training has gotten him moving very well at his size, plays with physicality and intensity, finishes his blocks, coordinated enough on his feet to drive defenders and stay balanced, shows he can get out of his stance quickly in pass protection, still refining technique with his hands and a punch, but has all the qualities to be a true blindside protector at the next level, has tremendous upside and willingness to work on his body is a good sign, and he needs to continue to make sure his weight is manageable uh, because he's naturally a massive person. Has the potential to be a franchise type of left tackle, 
There is some rawness here, but his trajectory has gone upward. So that is the detail on one Kiana Goodwin. Um, the transfer from Kentucky, look for him, hopefully, to be part of this transfer class for the Gators and add it to Damian George and Micah Mazuka for the transfer portal for the Gators in this 2023 class. Yeah, it's really interesting because Florida has sort of gone with a sure thing when it comes to Mazuka. I mean, he's somebody we've talked about before, but essentially was maybe the second best guard in the country behind Osiris Torrance. So you just sort of figure you <laughs> plug him in at left guard, not right guard, but still you plug him in as essentially you've now replaced Torrance. And then you look at George, somebody with the Alabama pedigree, started a few games there a couple of years ago, seemed to fall out of favor. But he's sort of that mid-grade, this guy's going to be able to come in and contribute, whether he's a yeah. starter, whether he's a solid backup. You know you're getting that. Goodwin is the high, high, high upside guy. And even if there are issues with work ethic and all those sorts of things, there are two things I'd say to that. One is guys who rank in the top 30 and are, or top 40 and are offensive tackles are few and far between. And so when you have an opportunity to get one of those guys, you got to rely on the physical skills and hope that you can get everything sort of coached the way you need to. And Florida has two offensive line coaches, so they should be able to do that. The other thing is, did you ever do anything stupid your freshman year there, Dave? Freshman year of college? You Um, know, maybe... yeah, Not, maybe I had a little bit of too much Goldschlager one night and woke up completely <laughs> bald. You know, like I just look at it and I go, everybody's like his work ethic was terrible. Well, the guy was the best player in high school, basically probably from the time he was a freshman in high school, right? And you jump up to that next level and you go, oh, like, okay, I didn't actually prepare for this. You sort of fall behind and you, you know, you're homesick and, you know, you're readjusting to living on your own, all those sorts of things. And look, none of that's an excuse. There are plenty of, plenty of guys who come in ready to play their freshman year, but there are plenty of people who go to their freshman year in college and you're not ready to go and so the idea that good especially offensive linemen yeah so the fact that goodwin would come in he'd have a rough year that all of a sudden there'd be some grumbling mainly because he probably already had one foot out the door <laughs> the way the transfer portal's been working and the way nil has been working you know i'm sure that there were back channel conversations between all these players who are in the transfer portal who might have had a home someplace else and so florida just got an opportunity assuming that goodwin commits um and, and comes into the program florida has an opportunity for a guy who can be an elite left tackle a franchise left tackle even if he completely flames out, that is worth the spot. That is worth the shot. Mm-hmm. You take that shot because, because <laughs> let's be honest, Graham Mertz needs somebody to block for him. Because <laughs> we talked, we talked last week that uh, you know he's going to need it, right? You can't get him off platform. It's, it's not Anthony Richardson back there anymore. You're going to need guys who can protect him, and, and Goodwin brings that brings that potential. Yeah, so add that to, as you said, Mazuka, instant plug and play. He's going to be the one absolutely on the field as a starter. Um, and, you know, what What does left to right look like now? Barber there at left tackle, Mazuka there at left guard, Kingsley at center. Now, if Goodwin can come and play right away, is he your right tackle? And that slides George inside to right guard since he has, you know, a detailed last week. He has that experience of playing guard and tackle at Alabama. Uh, just, you know, at that moment, at that time, a week ago, say, okay, he probably will slide at that right tackle uh, with the question of if Florida could even get Goodwin on campus. They did this past weekend, and then maybe now he will be part of this transfer portal class. But uh, if you can get Goodwin in, does that slide in? George to the right guard spot and but you know hey look it would be a good thing if Goodwin comes in and he's the starting right tackle there for the game I'd actually be surprised if he's the starting right tackle Me I too. think if you got I a guy that, well I think if you've got a guy that gifted you prepare him to be the left tackle because that's where mm-hmm. you want him and Austin Barber was all right a freshman at right tackle so mm-hmm. you know if George is competing at left tackle then fine but I mean you, you think about having a guy like George who's one kind of used to to being in and out of the lineup but two you know, that guy in the Alabama program is going to know what it takes to push and and know what it takes to play in the SEC. So if you have him pushing at the left and right tackle spot with Goodwin and Barber sort of manning those, you got Mazuka at left guard, like you said, Egwakan at center, and now you got that right guard spot, which, you know, hey, maybe George slides inside. Maybe you end up with a guy like, uh, you know, guys like Farmer or, or even Kearney coming in early on and yeah. competing for that spot. This is where the Cam Waits injury really does hurt. That was one of those things where it's like that was a guy you penciled in just about all of Billy Napier's transfers from last year turned out to be very, very good players. The only one we hadn't seen was Waits, and, and Waits obviously played right, te- right guard. 
So everybody, if you missed that, he, he did tear his Achilles tendon uh, last week. That came out, so Cam Waits. Uh, it'd be hard to imagine he comes back in any capacity for the 23 season. And you hope he doesn't. I mean, that's that's one of those injuries that can be a career burner, and you want to make sure that that he's taken well, that he's well taken care of, and that he doesn't rush back, and that when he does come back, he's ready to go. Um, again, though, I think that sort of goes to what you need to play at tackle. I was actually thinking that they might shift weights out to tackle, but with bringing George, yeah, 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 Goodwin I think so. Yep. I, with bringing George and Goodwin in, I think the, the plan would have been to keep him on the inside. But you know, that's the other thing is I suppose I suspect that George and Goodwin, in some ways, maybe the final push for Goodwin might have been <laughs> might have been that they needed him because Cam Waits was injured. So um, that's unfortunate. But again, you start looking at at what the offensive line is going to look like. I mean, look, Richie Leonard wasn't terrible at guard last no, year. I expect, I expect him to play. Yeah, there were times he was able to get in there. So again, I go back to what I said at the start of the episode, which is that you know. Right at the time when all these guys left, I went, oh, my goodness. Are we going to even have a functional offensive line? <laughs> Osiris and- Torres, Richard Garage, Michael Tarquin, Ethan White, Yusuf McGarble, Joshua Bryan. I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five, six offensive linemen and two, you know, right there at the at the at the bowl game that we thought would be on this team next year in Tarquin and White. Well, and five guys who started. Braun didn't start a ton, but he started some, right? Which meant that if you had somebody who got injured along the way, you could feel reasonably comfortable about having Braun come into the game. So, you know, they lost functional offensive linemen. This was like there were other places where Florida lost players, and you're like, all right, like, right. you know, again, at running back, you lose Naquan Wright and Lorenzo Lingard. I mean, you wish the best for him, but those were not guys who were in the future plans for Florida. You lose, you lose Tarquin and White, and it's like, okay, those were guys who might have been in the future plans for Florida. And so bring in some of these guys to fill the holes like you said Mazuka being essentially the plug and play but then what you if you get combined competent tackle play from George and Goodwin then you've got Barber and Harad and Herman and even Connor and Jones that you can sort of plug in there um, and potentially get you know so cobble things starting. together Barber starting Absolutely, but I guess my point is, is that you, what, the the issue is to me was never the five. I figured yeah. that they would find five. The issue Correct. is that last year <laughs> Napier came out of fall camp saying he was comfortable, really nine deep, and you know. Th- Coming out, you know, two weeks ago, I would have said, not a chance. Like, there's no way you're going to be able to name nine offensive linemen that yeah. Napier's comfortable with. I think you, you're probably not going to get to nine, but I think you can start getting to a place where you're like, all right, there's seven guys we trust, mm-hmm. which means if Egokin goes down, we'll have somebody who can step in at center. Or if Mazuka goes down, you know, Leonard may be able to step in at guard. Or, you know, if Barber goes down, George or Goodwin will be able to step in. And so, being able to do that gives you more flexibility, and obviously, you know, considering the uh, the really Florida has had has not had a lot of injury bad luck over the last couple of years. At some point, it's it's not going to like swing in the other direction, but at some point, they're just going to have one or two guys who miss a significant amount of time, and you're going to need to have good backups. And so, having this kind of depth on the offensive line at this point really helps out. Um, I was going to go defensive line next, but since we're talking offensive line, it only makes sense. I won't. We won't spend too much time on quarterback because we, of course, we had our big Graham Mertz episode last week. Everybody, uh, thanks for checking that out if you've already done so yet. But of course, Anthony Richardson gone, Jalen Kitna gone, the addition of Graham Mertz. But what I will say about this, Will, everybody, if you want more Graham Mertz talk, it was all detailed last week. We won't go too much into to strictly him here, um, but. I wanted to bring up, and I brought this up on Gators Breakdown Plus chat the other night, and you know it was possibly grabbing another quarterback in the second portal window. Uh, and that goes May 1st through May 15th, and that will be after spring practice. So with the Jaden Rashada saga behind us now, him no longer on the way, you know, does Napier turn to the portal again to get a fourth quarterback? You know what, and, and, and that begs the question: Will what quality are you getting if you get a second portal window quarterback? Could it be this five star, four star that maybe has to sit behind an experienced quarterback somewhere? That would be the, I guess, ideal quarterback to go get in a second transfer portal window. So what kind of quality are you getting? And would that that player be able to come in in fall camp and push Graham Merch, push Jack Miller uh, with them missing spring practice? So I think that's one way to look at it. Um, But with this, you know, Graham Merch, he could be your quarterback in 24, or if you do get a second window 
quarterback is that the quarterback that takes over in 24 you know that would help to avoid dj lagway being possibly forced in as a true freshman uh, as a quarterback look we're all excited to get this five-star quarterback one of the best quarterbacks out there but do you want to go force that quarterback into starting in 2024 if you can great you don't want to have to rely on it so this second portal window i think you can be looking at the quarterback position whether somebody to push graham mertz or somebody to take over in 24. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to look at the the situation, you know, individual by individual. So, you know, a few years ago, had the portal existed and Dwayne Haskins beats out Joe Burrow, Burrow transferring after spring practice would have been a perfectly legitimate guy to go after, right? Like, right. that's a guy where you're like, and, and look, I mean, I, there were reasons to think that Burrow was going to be fantastic, but, but even I, who was like singing his praises, didn't think he was going to be that good. And, you know, but those guys exist, right? Where you've got two guys who are at Ohio state, you know, they're competing and all of a sudden, you know, one beats out the other, or, you know, let's say CJ Stratt had decided to stay at Ohio state. There's a possibility that his backup might've gotten beat out and might decide to leave. So those sorts of things, Michigan, right? You had the, we have the situation with McCarthy, and I can't remember the name of the quarterback he beat out, but he was the guy who had led him to the playoffs the year before. And so those sorts of things are going to be out there, and there's a potential to 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 snake those kinds of guys away from other programs, for lack of a better word. I, I think the place you got to be careful is the guy who sort of just goes, ah, I want to go, some, you know, I want a greener pasture, I want to prove myself in the SEC, or something like that, who kind of already has the starting job. I think if that guy's transferring after spring practice, like alarm bells will be going off in yeah. my head in, in terms of those sorts of guys. And so, you know, look, I, I think there were guys like Grayson McCall who went into the transfer portal and then went back. It's unclear to me exactly what that was about. If he were to come available, you'd say, okay, yeah, that's a guy you're going to go after because he's got all sorts of experience and he's won a ton and his profile is a whole lot better than the guys who are currently on the roster. But then again, you mentioned Lagway. I think there's two things there. One is that Billy Napier may need Lagway to be on the field um, in year three to sort of show the growth that the program is headed <laughs> in. That like it, There may be a PR associated yeah. <laughs> or there may be some sort of PR associated with him being on the field. Really, in many ways, similar to the way Zook was with, uh, with Chris Leak, right? I mean, yeah. Leak comes in and plays a lot early on, and in many ways, I think that was related to, hey, we know our program isn't going to win a national championship. We need to show what we're building towards and getting him on the field. I think that's the other thing you really got to consider is, you know, look, you need to know what Max Brown has. You yeah. need to know Jack Miller and what he has. If you're going to, if he's going to be a part of your future, I think Mertz is sort of there to raise the floor of the overall room. And if you bring in a guy who's like a one and done, he comes in for a year and just sort of, um, you know, he's got to be a guy who can be transcendent. Otherwise there's no real use to it. If you bring you in a go. guy, who's yeah, it can't average. Be, right. It can't be a one and done guy. I, I completely agree. Unless you I, just know that guy's going to, but I mean, if, if you are, does that give us an indication of how the stuff staff feels about Mertz? And I mean, we could overanalyze and overthink that, but if they do, if they go out there and get a one year guy in that second portal window, I think it might mean something, but besides, I mean, look, they probably need four quarterbacks anyway. So maybe I'm um, talking myself into this. It may just be to get another body, but I agree with you. If you go out there and get somebody, I want somebody who's got more than one year. Yeah. Well, this is, this is why I wrote a couple of weeks ago that I think, I think most college programs at this point need general managers who sort <laughs> of separate the incentives that a coaching staff feels versus that, that a, you know, like and you see this in the front office, of the NFL all the time, where the general manager has a different set of incentives. He's looking out for the long term health of the program, and the head coach is saying, "I want to win now." And look, I can't fault the head coach for that. Like he's wired that way, and that's one of the reasons that he got to where he where he got to. And you know, every every coach thinks he's one player away from having the the perfect team and being able to win and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but I think again, I, I opened up the the podcast by saying that Napier has really been a let it play out type of type of coach right now you know it's been a wait and see type of approach and i suspect that it's going to be the same thing here i'd be surprised if they brought in a one and done quarterback because that's not what they have done you know it, it has not been 
it's not been what they've done anywhere else, right? And so the idea that they wouldn't wait and see what they have with Mertz before they went out and got got somebody. Now, look, I mean, if Mertz, Miller, and Brown are just atrocious in spring practice, then you go, look, we can't go three and nine. <laughs> like we have yeah. to bring somebody in. And so I think in many ways, it, if they bring in a one and done, it's a we realize we need a band aid because these three guys are backup quarterbacks, and we better make sure we have somebody who raises the overall floor. If they bring in a guy who's got two or three years worth of eligibility left, then that's the guy who's a bridge to lagway. Right. And then if they don't bring in anybody, then you say, okay, they're pretty confident with the guys mm-hmm. they've got in the room. We'll see whether they're right or not, but they're confident in it. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens when the season starts. Believe me, we can absolutely overanalyze the action. If they bring somebody in and it's a one-year guy, okay, maybe they're not satisfied with who they have and they want somebody to come push these guys. Or... um if they don't bring anybody in, all right, Billy Napier, all right, he's he sold on Graham Mertz. Uh, we're, 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 we're going nine wins. Well, the other <laughs> thing is, and, and this is the thing, I mean, I agree with you in terms of everybody sort of overanalyzing it, but the other thing is if you love Graham Mertz but you think Miller and Brown are sort of eh, Mm-hmm. Then maybe you bring in a guy to say, in case Mertz gets hurt, right? You know, we've got some in case of emergency break glass. Like, because if I'm not mistaken, Napier has said four quarterbacks. I think that's what he wants. So, I mean, that would make that would, sense, right? Exactly. Yes. So, yeah, it would be nice to not have to worry worry about two injuries at the quarterback position. All of a sudden, you're like, what was it? South Carolina was starting some guy off of like. Like I can't remember what was that two years ago. Like the 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 kid, I can't remember his name. But South Carolina had get in there who like you had no business being on an SEC field. Played pretty well actually, but again, you're not winning any SEC championships that way. And uh, (laughs) Scholar Morningwig. (laughs) Well, and so you know, and look, it's not a coincidence that Spencer Rattler was in was in Columbia last year after had that experience two years ago where they're you know they went through Luke Doty and they went through a couple other guys and wound up with sort of a, a third string guy and you, you know, walk on you're going oh geez I mean again nothing wrong with walk-ons but you don't want to stake your living to that especially at the quarterback position yeah, absolutely not everybody can be Stetson Bennett oh <laughs> uh, well let's go defensive line to wrap this up this Gators transfer Portal class, window one here, leaving Jervon Dexter, Jalen Lee, Chris Thomas, adding Caleb Banks, Cameron Jackson. You know, we've hit these guys uh, plenty to let the last uh, month or so. Caleb Banks coming in from Louisville, uh, six, seven, 300 pounds, transformed his body, was about 250 as a recruit, um, played sparingly in those two seasons at Louisville, um, less than 30 snaps in 2022, maybe more of a developmental project too. But also at Louisville, I know the staff, um, he was the first one to come in. He was the first transfer for this Gator class. This staff identified him uh, in his potential. As I said, they kind of go into that body transformation. I think Florida thinks they can unlock something here uh, there with, with Banks. But also um, Cameron Jackson, uh, of course, you heard him on Gators breakdown uh, big time. He's instant plug and play along the defensive line here. Uh, and hopefully a disruptive force uh, as we'll we'll kind of hit on defensive line earlier, so we can kind of brush this as we as we end this episode on. But yeah, two guys here. Will one is kind of the potential for maybe even later on in Caleb Banks, but Cameron Jackson um, coming in right away should be this instant impact. He's going to play from day one, and as you said earlier, when you look at this transfer portal, Florida did kind of mix it up a bit with guys that can contribute instantly. Maybe have uh, maybe have just a year left. Uh, I would expect Cameron to only have <laughs> to, to one year, uh, and, and maybe has the year with that we want him to on onto on the NFL. Uh, but you're looking at you know a, a, a defensive line now with with Jackson, Watson, Humphreys there in the middle. Um, Tyreek Sapp can play in the middle a bit. Chris McClellan hopefully taking that next step uh, there. So I'm, if I'm looking directly in the middle right now, I know this defense was bad, but a, a potential of Jackson, Watson, Humphreys, McClellan there in the middle. I mean, I, 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 I see some positive there. I, I see something where this, the, that, that group, even without Jervon Dexter, you know, probably didn't live up to that five-star status going to go get drafted. But the potential of, of those four guys in the middle, I mean, Florida, I'm not going to say it's going to be great or anything, but I think it can take a step forward with those four guys. Yeah, well, I mean, I think you, you you hit the nail on the head. Watson and McClellan are starters, 
Jackson has the ability to be a starter in the SEC. Banks, you think, has the potential to be a starter in the SEC. And then you've got Lyons and Norman coming in on the back end for the recruiting class who are going to start to push and potentially give those guys a blow at various times throughout the year. So you can suffer an injury, right? If, if Watson goes down, you can, you can suffer an injury. You can stagger the snaps so that you know Desmond Watson is the most disruptive that he can be for the 25 or 30 snaps he's out there rather than asking him to play 45 or 50 snaps. And then you end up with five or 10 snaps where you know he just isn't all that effective because that's too many snaps for a guy that size to be playing in the SEC. So yeah, I, again, he does I, not need to be replicating the Jervon Dexter model this past year. <laughs> no, that would be, that would be accurate. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, like you said, I, I think one of the things that you got to be really careful about is that guys are in the transfer portal for a reason. Um, there are multiple reasons this year specifically why people are in the transfer portal. And, you know, you got 10 guys. The average recruiting ranking of these guys coming out of high school was 88.9. Um, and that includes Goodwin in that one. It sinks even further than that if you if you take Goodwin out of it. But what you would expect is you would expect Goodwin to be almost a can't-miss NFL prospect 50 60% of the time, and then you expect everybody else to make it about 20% of the way, which means you should get three guys who end up drafting the NFL out of, this, out of these you know, 10 guys that they brought in. If Napier exceeds that, if he ends up with five or six of these guys going to the NFL, then I think that says something about his and the staff's ability to evaluate. If he ends up with three guys going to the NFL, you go, all right, that's about what we expected. Um, you know, I'm not looking to this to this transfer portal addition. I'm not looking at these guys as being like the game changers who change right. everything for the program. I think that's going to be done through high school recruiting. What this does is gives you a bridge to those high school recruits that you're not bringing in a guy – and saying, hey, go out there and play big boy SEC football when you're 20 pounds undersized and you just got here. And, you know, so like the addition of Spurlock and Mitchell means that Jaden Robinson doesn't have to come in and play day one. And I right. remember when when early signing day came around, I came on here and said, Jaden Robinson better be awesome because he <laughs> has to be because he's the only linebacker in the class. Like, who else is going to play linebacker? And so they've eased that stress, right? right? And even Mertz in some capacity has eased that stress. And obviously they brought in Mertz with the idea that Rashada was going to be in the class. And so that's probably upset the, uh, the apple cart a little bit in terms of what their plan was. But even Mertz, I mean, let's say they, they thought that Max Brown was going to be an awesome backup. Well, Mertz has given you the ability to sort of bring him along as opposed to throwing him in there as a redshirt freshman, never having a snap and say, hey, go play out of Utah. Like that'd be awesome. Open up the season out there on the road in a foreign environment when you know you're just trying to learn things. And hey, by the way, now it's going to be loud. It's on the road, and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think, look, these guys give you some margin for error. They sort of right. boost the baseline of what the team can do. They give quite a bit of depth. But you know, maybe you get one guy who makes a huge difference, like Jonathan Gennard did in 2019, where he was just a stalwart of that defense and a big reason why it was successful. Um, I would assume that Mazuka is probably the the candidate for that, somebody who's going to come in and you just go, this guy made a huge difference. Hey, you're going off the NFL now next year because <laughs> because you dominated like you did at Baylor. You showed you could do it in the SEC, and, and there you go. Um but, uh, you know, I don't think you can expect that from everybody. I think what you need to expect is solid play from a bunch of these guys, three or four of them making it into the pros and just sort of bridging that gap because we've had so many people leave <laughs> over the last couple of months that you had to fill those gaps. But it's really going to be the young guys who come in and do they take steps up. So honestly, if I'm evaluating the 2023 year, I think the biggest thing I'm going to look for is how many of Florida's players are on the all SEC freshman team. Because mm -hmm. if they end up with four or five, six guys on the All-SEC freshman team combined with the guys who made it last year, well, now you've got this foundation of guys who are moving into their sophomore and junior years who now have put up and shown that they can play in the SEC and have really earned playing time. If guys like George and Mazuka and Jackson and Nunnery are the stalwarts on the team, I start to get worried because that means the young guys aren't necessarily taking that step forward. And Look, Billy Napier is going to rise and fall with the guys who have three and four years of eligibility on, on, on their plate right now, he's going to rise and fall with whether DJ Lagway turns out to be a transcendent player at quarterback. Um, and that's just the way it is. I mean, the reality is he's going to need elite quarterback play and he's going to need these freshmen to hit in order to compete with the Alabamas and the Georgias and the Tennessees of the world. As uh, you know, we saw uh, Heupel get an extension today, I think. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
So look, I, I think these guys are good players. I think they add a lot to the team. But if you're expecting them to come in and be some giant game changer, I think your expectations are probably a little bit out of whack. Um, again, a couple of them are going to be pretty good, but you know there will probably be a couple that flame out as well. And if that means, like, look, if if Taraja Mitchell struggles and Jaden Robinson ends up getting a lot of valuable snaps this year, but makes some mistakes, that's still a valuable thing because he had to beat out Mitchell to get those snaps, as opposed to if Mitchell wasn't there, you'd be putting Jaden Robinson in wondering, is he just getting those snaps because he's the only dude there? Like, did, did he actually have to beat anybody out for these snaps? And he's going to have to beat out somebody who has real power five, um, real power five experience to get out there on the field. And that's a valuable thing. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at it, I think you know, Cameron Jackson on defense and, as you mentioned, Bazooka, I think if I'm, if I'm giving one on each side of the ball, uh, that's probably where I'm going for the guys that that, that can be the difference makers uh, that you're talking about in this uh, in, in this class here. So hopefully, Graham Mertz at quarterback is one of those as well. Uh, he, you know, that's in a category all in all of its own with the, the position that he plays. Um, if he is okay, you know, Florida's going to be uh, probably a little bit better than people think. But you know, I think the ones that I'm going with that I feel the best about are the two I mentioned there. Cameron in the middle of that defensive line and Mazuka in the middle of that offensive line. So, uh, well, and uh, hey, after spring, uh, as I just mentioned, we, we brought it up with quarterback. There's a couple spots left for Florida here uh, to get to 85. As I mentioned, you may even have a couple more transfers out uh, of the program. So, positions I still think Florida may need to look at. Quarterback we mentioned. But safety and wide receiver, uh, Florida didn't get uh, either one in the, in this cycle, this window of the transfer portal. Uh, and you know, Torrance uh, gone on the back end, Trey Dean gone on the back end uh, there. So, you know, what does Florida do at safety with Darius Perkins, probably Dakota Mitchell, Kamari Wilson, uh, Miguel Mitchell. You brought in a lot of DBs in this freshman class. You don't want to have to rely on. Uh, if you don't have to. So I think Florida going and grabbing a safety uh, in the transfer portal should be probably they look something, a position they look for in, in the second window and maybe another wide receiver as well. I, I actually think wide receiver, depending upon what they think about the freshman, um, Gene Wilson and Mizell, you're at nine. Maybe you'd like to be at 10, but I think nine's probably good enough considering what they were able to do last year. The place I look at is tight end. I mean, you got Sanders yeah, I think and you're Zipper. Yeah, maker, yeah. Well, you got Xanders and Zipper with one year left. You got Odom, who's injured, um, with two years of eligibility. And then you go back to Boardingham, Hanson, Livingston, and Savigny, I think, is moving from the defensive side of the ball to the offensive side of the ball. At least that was on, um, I think, De La Torre's roster um, markup there, which means you've got four completely unproven guys at tight end, a guy who's injured, and two guys who are going to be gone after this year. So in terms of like filling gaps, there are there are some gaps to be filled there at the tight end position just from a body's perspective. So I get what you're saying about wanting a game-changing guy who can come in there and that sort of stuff. But, you know, if Odom struggles to come back from injury, Zipper has been hot and cold and struggled last year with injuries. Xanders was a great story, but didn't really didn't really show out a whole lot last year. And then who else is there? There just isn't anybody with experience. And so unless yeah. you feel really comfortable about those they, four they guys. Like boarding, with, and they like boarding him from what I hear, but I don't know if he's the true tight end anyway. So, well, and, and I mean, look back, you know. So, look, last year, and I'd have to go look at the stats, but I'm almost certain that last year Napier was in three wide way more than he would have wanted. Remember the spring game? It didn't play out that way. Remember how those yeah. tight ends were used in the spring game and then runs after the catch? We didn't get that. Not at all. Yeah, nothing at all, right? But I think in some ways that was controlled by your quarterback. You wanted to spread things out. That made it easier for him. I think some of that was controlled by personnel, right? I mean, one zipper went out after the Tennessee game. Mm You know, I mean, I think I think maybe it was a Missouri game that he was injured in. I can't remember, but he was out pretty early in the year. Now you're left with Xanders, and that was kind of it, right? I mean, there just wasn't anybody else to step into that role. Odom started to play. I thought Odom did some, yeah. Right. As they got later in the season, Odom yeah. started to do some things, right? But again, that's <laughs> we're <laughs> we're only naming a couple of names yeah. here, and uh, you know I, I think there's some some room for improvement in that room. Tight end is where I would focus. If I was you, you would not spot. confuse us for Utah at all. No, in fact, if any of those guys want to transfer after spring, I'd be open <laughs> to bringing one of them in. <laughs> they literally went three deep with just playmakers there last year. Keithy well, goes just, down. Oh, it didn't matter. I mean, Just like us and Diabate, man. Like we sent him there last year. Send us a tight end. Come on. Yeah, there we go. Trade for trade. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll take that one. Uh, all right, well, what you got coming up? Read reaction, man. 
Yeah, so last week on Gators Breakdown, I made a comment about how uh, about how this was a Dan Mullen recruiting class, so people took umbrage <laughs> to it. And so instead of going back at them when when they were mad at me, I've decided to write an article. So uh, so that's what I'm going at. I'm I'm actually looking at the evaluation of, of Napier where he is and whether that comment was right or not. And you know, look, I'll I'll leave people in suspense, but uh, you know, I've tried to take a fair look at at where things sit, and uh, you know, people can be the judge. There we go. Coming up, read reaction. Uh, I know Will and I were talking about it over the weekend, so I had to give him a chance to to tease that one. I knew where we, I knew where it was going with it. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, look, I think it is what it is. You got to look at the yeah. numbers. You got to take the numbers where they go, and you can make determinations from it. So, you know, look, it was sort of a flippant comment that I made. That, like, this is a Dan Mullen recruiting class. This was after Rashad had left, and yeah. we're sitting there all bummed that he, that he's gone, and all the stuff that's going on there, and sort of the black eye that that's give, given the university and the NIL and all that sort of stuff, and 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 the collective and, and all those organizations, and sort of looking at it, you're a little bit depressed. Make a statement. Is it hyperbole or is it true? And that's sort of what I'm trying to answer is, was I being hyperbolic unintentionally just because I was depressed or, uh, or <laughs> is it actually true? And, and we'll see. Well, a bit of advice. Don't forget now when you go compare these classes, don't forget now because people are going to remind you. And I know you know this anyway. And this is a little bit in jest. Don't forget the count. Don't forget to count the 19, the 2019 class of Dan Mullen. Don't forget now about those guys that didn't make it in. Because you're not going to forget that. They're not going to let you forget that. Oh, don't don't worry. That has been taken into consideration. <laughs> uh, all right. You can find Will's work at readingreaction.com on YouTube at Read Reaction. Him and Nick Newton there getting you ready for stand up and holler every week. You can find him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Guys and girls out there, thank you for joining us right here on Gators Breakdown.